Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, working to prepare the next generation of teachers, counselors, and educational leaders through online graduate degrees and hybrid doctoral programs. Details at education.olemiss.edu. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, April 17th. I'm Karen Brown. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, advocates on the front lines of fighting tobacco use among Mississippi children say e-cigarettes and vaping are the latest threat. The makers of these devices are using a lot of flavoring. For example, one of the flavors of a jewel is cream brulee. Then the latest as the state is shutting down bridges determined to be unsafe for the motoring public. And do changing temperatures mean the state's climate is changing? We'll hear from an expert. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi health experts say the number of high school students using e-cigarettes and vaping is on the rise despite years of working to reduce tobacco use. There's growing concern about a resurgence in nicotine addiction with electronic nicotine devices and new flavorings. Sandra Shelson is executive director of the Partnership for a Healthy Mississippi. She tells MPB's Desiree Frazier tobacco use rates have been declining among Mississippi children since outreach began in the late 1990s. We have done a wonderful job in this state and in this country of reducing uh, the youth use of traditional tobacco products. It's, in Mississippi, it's uh, well below 10%. It's about 9.23, something like that. We don't have the most recent stats, but it's significantly lower than it's been. However, the youth initiation into nicotine usage has increased uh, exponentially because of these alternative forms uh, delivery mechanisms. For example, an e-cigarette, vaping, and one of the newest products is Juul, and that's J-U-U-L. And the problem we're having is that a lot of youth, a lot of people, quite frankly, think that they are um, a safer alternative to cigarettes. And while if you are trying to stop using um, traditional tobacco products, that might work for you, but if you are a young person and you've never used tobacco products, the beginning usage with these products is, uh, is problematic because they, they are nicotine delivery devices and nicotine is a highly addictive 
substance. And so what um, you're saying is children are the targets for these alternative nicotine devices? Well, for the flavors particularly. You know, um, th- that's what the tobacco companies did a long time ago. They, they came up with all these candy-flavored cigarettes. And with that, you know that there, there's a problem there because, you know, somebody who smokes a lot, they don't, they're not necessarily interested in a cherry-flavored cigarette. Well, the same thing is true here. When There are over 7,000 flavors that are available out there on the market today. There are some who are able to use this as a harm reduction um, step-down, perhaps, but even that's still not known. There's, a, there's so much that is not known about what the, the vape that, that is uh, out there in the circulation in the air, what it contains, and the, um, the level of uh, chemicals that are actually being put into your body when you ingest this. You mentioned that the e-cigarette can look like a cigarette. What about Juul? I mean, it can look like a pipe. It can. I mean, there's, there's just a, truly, if you are a parent or uh, you work with young people, I would highly suggest you just Google alternative nicotine delivery devices or Google e-cigarettes, and you'll see. The last one that I had mentioned, it's the most the most popular right now, it has about a 54% share of the market, and that's the Jewel, and it's spelled J-U-U-L. And it looks like a, a thumb drive, you know, a jump drive that you would see, you know, kids putting in their computer or, you know, people that would you, would be in anybody's office. So it's highly um, uh, likely that you could um, hide that if you were a kid. The other, the other usage that um, unfortunately is out there is the use of um, marijuana in these devices. And if you've ever been to a concert and you smell marijuana, it has a very distinct aroma. Well, when you use it in one of these devices, it, it doesn't have that aroma. So someone could be using one of these devices and um, indulging in marijuana, and you, wouldn't, you would not be able to tell just by the smell anyway. Partnership for a Healthy Mississippi Executive Director Sandra Shelson with our Desiree Frazier. Police in Madison County recently issued a warning after some teens vaped cannabis oil and had to be hospitalized. Professor Robert McMillan is with Mississippi State University's Social Science Research Center. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier he's concerned about the long-term effects, even though the products have been out only five years. They're not regulated, so it's fairly easy for an adolescent to to get their hands on one. When you talk about these alternatives, why are they so attractive to children? Some of it is the misconception that they're actually harmless, which is not at all true. They create an aerosol that has nicotine and other carcinogens and poisons in there, but a lot of confusion over whether or not these things are harmless or not, I think, is one of the reasons why adolescents use these. And then again, a lot of the flavors are really attractive to teenagers, and um, some of the newer ones, it's fairly easy to conceal use, like the new Jewel, they don't produce a whole lot of visible aerosol, and they're really small, so it's fairly easy for an adolescent to conceal the use compared to a you know, combustible cigarette. You can smell it from a hallway away in schools. When you talk about these alternatives, do they give off any smoke at all? Yes. They give off an aerosol, and depending on the the type of e-cigarette, some of them give a really large plume of aerosol, and some of them give a fairly small plume of aerosol, but they all um, give off an aerosol. 
So in your research, what concerns you about using these items? The major concern is that we're seeing adolescents who are not using cigarette smoke cigarettes or smoking cigarettes using these products, and then a year later they're actually smoking um, combustible cigarettes. So there have been several studies, and the National Academy of Sciences just reviewed all of these studies and concluded that e-cigarettes seem to be a pathway to actually using combustible cigarettes among our adolescents. And that really concerns me because although e-cigarettes are not safe, combustible tobacco is even more harmful. How widespread is the use in Mississippi among young people? When you look at e-cigarette use among our high school students, 10.3% of our high school students last year reported e-cigarette use, and 5.9% of our middle school students. We have new data that we collected in the public schools in fall of 2017, last fall, and that data should be available to us really soon. It's being processed at the Centers for Disease Control. And I'm expecting those numbers to go up with the popularity of Juul over the last um, six months. Have you found that there are any physical uh, results of using these items, negative uh, health results? Yes. A a study came out earlier this month that actually found that blood was examined of teenagers who used these products. They had elevated um, amounts of certain carcinogens and other toxins in their blood. So it's too soon really to know the long-term impacts of these devices because they've only really been popular in the last five years. But we are starting to see um, short-term markers for exposure to carcinogens, such as the study that I just mentioned. So as we look at this issue and how it is um, coming into profile in Mississippi, what are the key things that you want people to know? That this is not a harmless water vapor, that it's an aerosol that has a lot of poisons and carcinogens in it, and that they should be treated the same way as cigarettes. If you do not allow cigarette smoking in your home, restaurant, or workplace, you shouldn't allow e-cigarettes to be used as well, and also that um, as these e-cigarettes become more developed, the addiction risk is greater. Their first-generation e-cigarettes really weren't very good at delivering nicotine, but many of the newest versions are really good at delivering nicotine, which means that an adolescent who is experimenting with these is under greater risk of um, becoming addicted. Mississippi State Professor Robert McMillan with MPB's Desiree Frazier. Professor McMillan says he expects new stats due out soon showing an increase in the use of e-cigarettes and vaping among Mississippi children. Coming up, the latest as the state is shutting down bridges determined to be unsafe for the motoring public. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell, the host of Bunny Talks on MPB Think Radio. Each week, Nancy Lottridge-Anderson, Associate Professor of Finance at Mississippi College, joins me and answers questions about credit, investing, saving for retirement, and all things finance. Also, we invite you to call in and share your successes in navigating the personal finance challenges that we all face. Money Talks, Tuesday mornings at 9 on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. 
Dangerous bridges in Mississippi are being closed by the State Department of Transportation. Last week, Governor Phil Bryant declared a state of emergency for more than 100 dilapidated bridges across the state. The order was in reaction to pressure from the U.S. Department of Transportation under the threat of losing federal dollars. Mississippi Department of Transportation Executive Director Melinda McGrath says prior to the state of emergency, there were already 300 bridges closed across the state. She spoke to MPB's Mark Rigsby while out closing a bridge in Hines County. McGrath tells him inspections of county bridges will continue. Well, any bridge that is listed to be closed is very unsafe. So what that means is that uh, is that it could fail at any time. And, uh, you know, depending on what member it is in the bridge would determine how um, catastrophic it is. So like if you look at this the bridge that we're at now, if that middle span goes out, you're going to drop a good, what, 25 feet to the bottom. And so, uh, you know, there's very few vehicles that can survive that. So it's very dangerous. And from the assessment that's been made, there are dozens of these types of bridges across the state. Yeah, so uh, before the state of emergency was issued last week, there had been like 300 that were already closed across the state. So when the governor declared the state of emergency, there was 83, but by the end of the week, there was 102. And that's because inspections are still going on. And, uh, you know, all that has been inspected so far is about half of the county's bridges that have timber components. And then there will be another round that will start up here in the next month or two to get the other half. Simultaneously, your crews for MDOT are closing bridges across the state. That's correct. And there are some counties that have decided that they would rather keep these bridges open, which is kind of surprising. Yeah, so uh, we had some that said that they don't believe that these bridges are unsafe and that they will not um, close them. But, you know, the thing to keep in mind is that MDOT didn't develop the inspection system or criteria or what you look at. That was that was that was designed and that was determined nationally. And it wasn't just USDOT setting this up. So all the DOTs across the United States, along with the USDOT, got together and they developed this bridge inspection criteria just to make sure, you know, that it was fair, it was looking at, and it's not political. It is just factual. And, uh, you know, we've heard locals, whether they were local engineers or, and I don't think it was the engineers as much as the supervisors who would say, you know, it's just a matter of opinion, it's, it's engineering judgment. Well, it's really not. When you get down to where you're doing the rating on the bridge, it is all calculations. And when you look at the timber pile, you know, we have a device that actually bores all the way through, so it knows how much section there is still within that member and how much it's not. So it's not engineering judgment, it is factual numbers, it's data. So these bridges that have been determined dangerous and unsafe, they're all supported by timber? Yes, they are. What about other types of bridges? Are are they also going to be inspected, or are some of them also considered dangerous? Yes, so every bridge in the state that's open to public traffic is inspected at least once every two years. If you think there's a problem, then... uh, then you have to inspect it more often. And and if it's a bridge that has uh, timber piling, then it has to be inspected uh, at least once a year. And then if it's something that you're concerned about, then it may be um, you know every few months. But as far as the 
other bridges that have concrete piles, steel piling, um, those aren't, aren't as old, and so they're not really in this situation yet. The state legislature uh, tried to tackle this issue during the past session. The governor has issued his state of emergency. The House has released a new road and bridge plan. There's a little bit of resistance right now from the Senate side. Where do you see the obstacle currently to trying to fund road and bridges in Mississippi? Yeah, so the political uh, obstacle, I mean. Right. So, uh, so it appears that uh, you know that the House and the Senate don't agree, and so we haven't really been involved in these discussions. I've seen the House plan. I haven't seen anything else that the Senate has come up with. You know, I know that the House plan does describe real money, a real source of income, um, you know, but for whatever reason, it seems that the, you know, that the Senate is not for it. Um, and I don't really know why they're not, but, um, you know, I'm sure sure they have their reasons. You know, that's why, as I said earlier, it, it's really important that the local citizens get in touch with their legislators. And, you know, they express, you know, what their desires are. You know, every senator, every House member, you know, they're elected to, to represent us and what we see the state needs. And so, um, you know, maybe it would seem like to me that part of the breakdown is is that uh, people are just aren't expressing the, you know, their frustration over roads, bridges. But it's not just roads and bridges. It's, it, it's sewer. It's water. I mean, it's a whole plethora of things. Tell me what the perfect ending to this story would be for you and the state. So the perfect ending to me is that we could come up with a system that, one, enables the locals to repair their roads and bridges, and then, two, that also includes a component for the state so that we can maintain a strong um, infrastructure so that we can continue to recruit, you know, like the Continental Tire plant so that we can grow and we can bounce back. MDOT Executive Director Melinda McGrath with our Mark Rigsby. MPB's Mark Rigsby spoke with motorists who say something needs to be done about the infrastructure crisis. A man driving down Spring Ridge Road who didn't want to be identified says he didn't know the bridge was closed. I think the people who made that decision ought to have to travel it twice a day. What do you think about the road and bridge situation in this It's pitiful. I think it's a disgrace for this country. What would you like to tell your lawmakers? Quit and go home. The House and Senate remain deadlocked over a new infrastructure plan. Coming up, do changing temperatures mean the state's climate is changing? We'll hear from an expert. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is Ophira Eisenberg, host of NPR's Ask Me Another. Do you have an extra car that you wash more than most people go to the dentist? Well, save some time and some water and donate it to us. Think about it. Rather than it sitting there taking up space, your extra car could be making public radio. And when you donate it here, you may also qualify for a tax deduction. Donate your car, motorcycle, boat, or RV by going to mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. 
Mississippians are questioning the state's varying weather patterns and temperatures. Is it due to typical spring weather or something more? Terms like climate change and global warming may elicit different responses depending on political viewpoints. But experts at Mississippi State University's Extension Service say one thing is certain. The weather is changing. Unlike most of the United States, they say Mississippi did not become hotter during the last century, but its rainfall has changed considerably. In addition, storms and flooding seem more frequent and violent. Droughts seem more intense. Fires seem more out of control, and sea levels are encroaching our coastal cities. Mike Brown is the state climatologist. He tells us changing weather doesn't necessarily mean a new climate. Most people look at climate in 30-year increments, so we always kind of take our last 30 years and refer that as our climate uh, for a region. All right, with that in mind, how is weather changing in the United States? That's a really difficult question to answer in terms of is the weather really changing or are the impacts of the weather really changing? And I think a lot of times people, especially the public, perceive the impacts of weather, whether or not that's flooding or droughts or extreme heat or extreme cold or, you know, heavy snowfall, um, those types of things. And so sometimes the perceptions of the impacts influence our thought process on are things really changing? Now, climatologically, we have seen a little bit of warming here in the United States. And as a result of that, we are seeing some changes, maybe very subtle changes in precipitation patterns. But again, I think it goes more to the impacts of what is happening shapes our perception that maybe climate is changing. In Mississippi this past winter, we had a cold winter by comparison to recent years anyway. Scientifically, did we have a colder winter? For Mississippi, I think it ranked out to be maybe our fifth coldest February. It really wasn't terribly out of line. In Mississippi, we're always concerned about hurricanes and tornadoes. Is there Mm -hmm. an increase in either and or severity? No, we haven't seen that. Especially in the tornado record, we haven't seen that because for a tornado to be recorded as a tornado, we really have to have eyes on it. People have to see it or it has to do uh, some damage that it can be recognized as a tornado even after the fact. Uh, hurricanes, we, we were actually in a hurricane drought after 2005. We, uh, we just didn't see a lot of land-falling hurricanes in the United States. Climatologically, we were about on pace in terms of the number of hurricanes in the Atlantic Basin, but we didn't see as many land-falling hurricanes. And so, like all weather phenomena, which, you know, weather occurs on a daily basis and climate is a much longer period, like 30 years, climatically, we're right where we need to be with these things. But when they happen, again, I think it's our perception that things are getting worse. We've had a lot of rainfall this spring, and not, not just rain, but it seems like torrential downpours. We have had a lot of rain, and um, but it's not unusual to have very heavy rain, especially in the spring when our atmosphere is very active. Our jet stream is now migrating from this area northward, and as a result, we are seeing more storm systems come through. So heavy rain this time of year is not really that uncommon. Uh, we don't really see our all-day kind of moderate rains. Those usually come in the fall. Now, March and some parts of February... Uh, we're quite wet 
in addition to being cold. And again, that had to do with the jet stream that had pushed south, allowed the cold air to come down here. And it also, that jet stream helps the air to rise and we get a lot of precipitation when those kind of things happen. What should we pay attention to in regard to our weather that may end up being part of our climate? What we really need to pay attention to is how we are treating the Earth's surface. For example, in the Delta of Mississippi, we're seeing the aquifer being drawn down due to some of the irrigation uh, practices out there. And a lot of that has to do with the economy and the fact that rice, may be a crop that is more advantageous for farmers to grow, but rice is a very water consumptive type of agriculture. And so it demands that water. And and so as a result, we draw down that aquifer and those types of things. So as a climatologist, I'm a lot less concerned about what the atmosphere is doing. I'm a lot more concerned about what human beings are doing to the earth's surface that makes the impacts from what the atmosphere does worse. Mike Brown is the state climatologist and a professor of meteorology and climatology at Mississippi State University. Mike, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. The weekend severe weather took its toll on Mississippi. The National Weather Service confirmed two tornadoes, an EF1 in Rankin County and an EF2 in Lauderdale County. Additional tornado surveys continue. MEMA has sent crews to Lauderdale County, which suffered the most damage. 45 homes, 14 apartments, and four public buildings were destroyed or heavily damaged. One injury was reported. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Money Talks. Then at 10, it's In Legal Terms. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking. If you missed part of the show today, find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, working to prepare the next generation of teachers, counselors, and educational leaders through online graduate degrees and hybrid doctoral programs. Details at education.olemiss.edu.